Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. What's up? How y'all doing? I believe that this episode is going to come out in February, which is the second month of the year, which is crazy to even think about. Um, but but let's just like go ahead and dive right into the episode. None of this fluff that we need to talk about in advance. Um, but a little before we get into the books, as always, we're going to do the I like to watch corner because TV has been thriving. So what have I been watching recently? Um, the first thing that I've been watching that I absolutely love is Peacemaker on HBO Max. Did not expect to love it that much. One, because if I had to choose a superhero faction to go with, I would, you know, have to choose Marvel over DC just based on, like, the most recent 10 to 15 years of what's been put out. However, um, I did enjoy the Suicide Squad movie that came out recently in the past year or two time as Amorphous, which set up the John Cena Peacemaker character. And as you might know, we have been into watching lots of WWE old footage and documentaries and fun stuff. So um, it's been especially nice to sort of connect the John Cena WWE character with the Peacemaker character. Almost seems like it was tailor-made for him. It is written and directed by James Gunn, who did Guardians of the Galaxy, which I find like fun. I do find them like a little bit too gratuitous and jukeboxy. But Peacemaker combines like 80s glam hair metal with snarky, almost like Deadpool-like humor. I've seen it compared to that, but I would say it's still like a little bit more grounded in reality as much as a superhero show can be. It's also dropping weekly, which really gives me the time to marinate in it and fully watch it and be present. I try to stay off my phone and Kindle during that show. Speaking of which, there's a new episode out, which I might watch after this. Um, Another great show that came out that I binged in like 48 hours was Cheer Season 2 on Netflix. Who knew that a documentary about two random community colleges in Texas would be would make for such riveting television but leave it to Netflix to find some inspiring teams and coaches season one um, focused on Navarro College and a little bit on their um, enemies or you know their rivals the Trinity Valley Community College season two takes everything from season one you know explores how fame and popularity can both hurt and help people in their um you know, how fame can take a toll on you, how it can, you know, boost your career. But also there's been some scandals that have come out in the cheer industry. So they, you know, address those as much as they can. It's riveting television. You need to pay attention to every single moment. No. Do you sometimes wonder like how they can still be attending college for so many years? Yes. Are there some loopholes that explain that? Probably yes as well. Is it entertaining? Most importantly, yes. Um, The last show that I've been absolutely obsessing about, which I think I probably have talked about here before is one of my guilty pleasures, is This Is Us. We're on the final season, so they're pulling out all the stops. And there was an episode a couple weeks ago where Nikki had a flash forward to, like, the woman that he's going to eventually fall in love with. I think her name was Edie. That moment really got me. I mean, I know it's cheesy, but man, and I know it's calculated to, like, pull our heartstrings in all the most benefiting ways but like they got it right and like mandy moore is a fantastic actor with such range of playing older rebecca who's going through alzheimer's and younger rebecca milo Miglia, whatever his name is you know i butcher name pronunciation so all of it's fantastic is it cheesy yes is it my guilty pleasure yes um and then the last thing that i have been watching and want to talk about um is we saw the latest scream movie in theaters I I don't know if I see this is an interesting one like I love the original Scream movie I think it's revolutionary you know sort of really the capstone of the meta hon- ushering in the meta horror genre and yes I've seen Scream 2 3 and Scream 2 3 and 4 of course I've seen the original one the most 
So I knew that while they were sort of bringing back the legacy characters and focusing on, you know, it's not a reboot, it's sort of a requel where we're having a sequel-ish element, but we're not, but we're also rebooting the original. Um, it was really great to see it in theaters, all that being said, to see those legacy characters like David Arquette and Courtney Cox and Neve Campbell. Um, but I, I liked it a lot. I just I just don't think anything can be the original Scream. Were there fun little Easter eggs and nods to Wes Craven and homages to the original, of course. Um, I just kind of felt... It just nothing can be the original, and I, you know, since that came out, there's been a lot of pieces like revisiting the original, and I just read an interview with Skeet Ulrich and Matthew Lillard, and like Stu and Billy are just, they're so iconic that it's really hard to top them, and Sydney is just like the ultimate final girl, and while you do root for the girls in the movie, and they do have more depth and dimension than most women in horror films, they're just not Sydney. So, but it's still, it was just also nice to see it in a theater and eat some popcorn, and experience all that but today we're here to talk about books and there have been so many books that I've been reading I've just had uh fortunately like a little bit more downtime so I've just been spending it reading the library books have been flowing like wine like from the god Dionysus (laughs) what our first book um that I'm gonna be talking about today is Olga Dies Dreaming by Sochi Gomez and I'm looked up how to pronounce that because I knew I would butcher it and I probably still did so I'm sorry if you're listening to it this is a debut novel that reads with the confidence of someone who just has a mastery of the page knows what they're writing commands their story goes big um you know strives for just it just reads like someone who has a command of the literary world and page in a way that you wouldn't expect from a debut author so our main character Olga she is an older quote-unquote older woman in her late 30s early 40s in the Puerto Rican American community she is like the number one wedding planner and event planner which while it pays the bills is not exactly um what the career that her family had envisioned for her they view it as sort of petty so she is immediately introduced as this woman who you know has this outward and inward struggle with like wanting to maintain her career and wanting to achieve her personal goals while also wanting to achieve her financial goals and facing the expectations that society and her family puts on her Um, and then it turns out that not only you know is her family slightly disappointed in that choice of career but there's also a plot that is introduced where it turns out that her mother was part of this rebellious factor in puerto rico um, designed to sort of like there's a lot of commentary on wealthier, specifically, you know, white Americans coming into Puerto Rico and trying to displace the natives, particularly um, with a energy crisis that I don't want to spoil too much about in this. But it's also um, it sets the stage where while our main characters are in New York City, they do spend some time in Puerto Rico and actually go there. And of course, Puerto Rico looms over as a setting throughout the entire book. Um, it just sort of deals with, you know, a take on the American dream, a take on what it's like to grow up in a country that is supposed to be yours but doesn't really feel like it and you spend every moment trying to fight for that there's a little bit of a thrillery thrillery element in it with the um with the rebellious factor subplot i don't want to get too much into that but really it's just an exploration of olga and her brother um we get his perspective too so their and their mother as well through letters that she's written to them so a really fascinating portrait of a family and a woman who i'm excited on the page the woman olga herself is cool and so she also i'm excited to see what comes next from her speaking of strong women the next one was like well, first, our next book, The School for Good Mothers by Jessamine Chan, another debut novel that 
just again had such a grip on its story and where it wanted to go and its dimensions that I really like found myself just like I could not put this one down. Um, so this deals immediately are. I knew there was an enticing incident with our young woman, our young, I cannot speak. I knew there was an incident with our young mother, Frida, at the beginning that involves like her daughter being taken away in a poor laughs and judgment just because I read a little bit about the um, about the book. I didn't know too much about it, but that happens like really quick. Like we are thrown in where Frida just, you know, I can't imagine what it's like to be a young mother, especially a single young mother on my own, just trying to like want to have an hour of peace in the day and whether she intentionally means to or not she leaves for coffee and her leaves her young toddler at home naturally the neighbors hear the screaming and crying and while this may you know in our reality warrant um, the police called maybe some cps investigations it does not warrant anything nearly as sort of dystopian but very realistic futuristic um there's like a government test program that is as this title implies the school for good mothers where excuse me, I did that right in the middle of a sentence. Sorry, Jason. (laughs) Where these mothers, for one reason or another, have been told that they are bad mothers, whether they leave their child alone for half an hour or let them walk home from school, you know, very minute details that, you know, in any other society would maybe warrant a slap on the wrist, if that. But here, these women are literally taken away from their children for a year with the, um, the notion that, you know, they're they're going to be training and they're going to be at a school and this is all to prepare them. But it very quickly becomes sort of like, you know, it's like a reformatory camp almost where it's like while they're there by choice, it's basically, you know, they have the choice. But if they leave, they can't ever see their children again. And the process to be back with their children is just so heartbreaking. Um, you know, while it's clear that Frida wants more than anything to be with her daughter and you know that she loves her. The idea of what it means to be a good mother in society's eyes, again, playing with the notion of like who is a woman on the inside and who is a woman on the outside to society, you know, when faced with these impossible decisions, what would you do, especially um, these literally impossible because it's kind of crazy to imagine a facility like this taking mothers away from their children. I mean, of course, I can see if a woman had if a mother had an incident with a child and had to perhaps attend some parenting classes or anger management or whatever i'm all for that but being removed from your child when it's not in their best interest um it's just really heartbreaking i don't want to give away too much more with the plot with where it goes but needless to say um while it didn't exactly go where i thought it would be even though i could kind of tell where it was going it it didn't make it any less heartbreaking (laughs) So our next book is Wanderers by Chuck Wendig. Now, this is a big boy. This book is almost 800 pages. Immediately, it was sort of I um, compared to The Stand and Station Eleven because this is a long post-apocalyptic pandemic novel. However, it was written before the COVID pandemic. And while, again, it's, the, it's that's the sort of sweeping pandemic in the sense that this mysterious virus um, has taken over most of the country. And this time it turns out that they are sleepwalkers. All of a sudden, these people wake up and they are sleepwalking. Nothing can touch them. Nothing can harm them. They don't respond to anything. But it's just like this flock of people wandering, literally, you know, the wanderers. And then the people who watch them and keep over them are called the shepherds. Sounds easy on paper, but there is there's so many different types of characters that we meet naturally in these. You know, there's the as Goodread says, the decadent rock star, the deeply religious radio host, a disgraced scientist, and a teenage girl who may be the world's last hope. Um, at times, again, 
it did feel a little bit long. It's 800 pages. So I would say the first 50 pages were a little bit sort of, okay, this is this girl's sister is affected by this. The virus is happening. Where is it going? But as soon as you get into the perspectives of the different characters and then see how they eventually come together, I was intrigued. It's definitely, um, it goes to show too, like how a society deals with a pandemic, especially one that's a lot more accelerated, one that has some potentially different implications with the virus and with the pandemic than something at, um, I'll just give the spoiler that the virus and pandemic itself is not necessarily something that was accidentally created in like a Chinese laboratory with a bat and a pig. So there's a little bit more nefarious intentions behind that. But in terms of the ways that the world comes together, especially um, when you have this flock of people as well, all really cool stuff. If you're a fan of Station Eleven, both the TV show or the book, if you're not too freaked out by pandemic stuff or if you're more interested in reading like a severe post-apocalyptic novel and how the world comes back together and you're in for taking an 800 page journey then this one is your jam and by 800 pages i mean long but still definitely like fast-paced and i read it in like a couple of days so not too too long i mean yes long but like it's not like the sort of 800 pages like war and peace that you're like this is difficult to get through and i haven't really read it but maybe that's why Next, we have I Came All This Way to Meet You, Writing Myself Home by Jamie Attenberg. I've read a couple of books by Jamie Attenberg. I've read All This Could Be Yours, which speaking of sweeping family novels, not a pandemic novel, but definitely one of those like, we've got the dysfunctional families, we've got the patriarch who's dying, we've got questionable wealth and money, but just like sort of an A24 indie film that just, it works though. It's, it's Despite all that sounding derivative and packaged, it's not at all. So this is actually a memoir and essays as the title says, Writing Myself Home. Um, she's written quite a few books and her comp and her history with writing and her um, identification with being an author and connection to the words is all explored throughout this novel. Um, she, you know, she's literally described as a master of modern fiction and the poet laureate of difficult families. Um, she was raised by a traveling salesman father, so grew up in this sort of kind of unstable home, unstable home to begin with. That also led her to have this sense of traveling and wanderlust. Um, she's just a really fantastic writer, whether or not you've read any of her books. I just felt like so many of the things that she was talking about and writing like really resonated deeply in my soul, you know, whether that's talking about book tours and an experience of traveling where like she was traveling so much that she literally like the anxiety that she felt and the dependency on traveling as like part of her everyday life is really as as a homebody was like very harrowing. I mean, there's a lot of different stuff, not just about her own personal exploration as an author, as a writer, as an artist, but also just anybody who has struggled with their passion and something that they know is sort of their purpose, but has become commodified as most things are wont to do. So automatically puts her in the public eye. And again, there's that theme of struggling with the public and the private selves and the expectations that society places on us. Um, but I love Jamie. She talks a little bit about her first novel, which is The Middlesteens, and I actually hadn't read that, um, and that's sort of the one that started everything, and she alludes to a lot of the details in that, too. I always find it fascinating where, like, she writes about a woman who's obese, and she's not obese herself, so when people see her, they're like, well, you're not obese, and it's like, yeah, it's fiction, you know? She might have taken some of her own body image issues and put them onto the page, but that doesn't mean that, you know, just because you write about someone doesn't mean you're them, but that all being said, I got that from the library, and I'm excited to read that and anything else that Jamie has coming. 
And last but not least, we have A Flicker in the Dark by Stacey Willingham. Our main character, Chloe Davis, is the daughter of a serial killer. She has tried her best to escape that. Um, She grew up in a small town in Louisiana, and the father, who was loving and kind that she grew up with, um, when a bunch of young girls went missing in her teen years, it turns out that actually because of an investigation, a discovery that she made herself and sort of an unlikely investigation that she helped put her father behind bars. And while she's struggling to, um, she's in a new relationship in the present day, she's struggling to come to terms with all of that, um, girls go missing again. So there's her past coming up to haunt her. So all of that kind of feels like been there, done that. But there's this sort of eerie unease that you can tell, like Chloe is fighting so hard to just maintain a life and move forward and put all that behind her. But how can you when it's, you know, it's not only affected her father, it affected her mother, it affected her brother, it affected everyone around her. Um, She's in what seems to be a stable relationship, but of course, you know, can she trust him? There's doubts that other people are putting in her mind. So while it not only plays out with that thriller aspect is, you know, is her what happened with her father because we sort of see flashbacks in the past but there's not so much of a definite answer until the end and the ending is spectacular i will say it's like you think you know where it's going but everything all makes sense um there's again that outward and inward appearance although not so much with chloe i'll just say that she's not the killer um but a very promising i think this is also a debut and i really enjoyed not only the character exploration but the mystery itself and it definitely it stood apart to me as a mystery um that i will keep in my mind and recommend to people recommending to you right now um and again excited to see what else comes from stacy willingham so that all being said Make sure that you subscribe to me if you are not already on YouTube. Follow me on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you are just listening for the first time, it would mean so, so much to me if you could go ahead, even if you're listening on Spotify or watching on YouTube and not on Apple Podcasts, if you could go ahead over there and leave me a five-star review. It means the world to me. Uh, Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, all that will be linked down below. Like me on Facebook. And the best way to stay in touch with me um, is follow me on Goodreads so you can see what I'm reading in real time. As always, let me know what you're reading. And until next time, how many times can I say reading? Stay reading. Bye.